All right. Good morning again. Praise the Lord. Um, man, God is so good. I, I, I just, um, you know, I, I just want to thank God corporately uh, for his faithfulness, uh, for his faithfulness to us. Um, uh, it wasn't uh, in the bulletin, um, but uh, uh, the Gilsons have uh, had quite uh, quite the past week, and, and, and their dear son uh, was uh, facing some serious health uh, challenges, and, uh, and through prayer and God's faithfulness, uh, he is doing well and uh, is with us this morning. And so uh, we were, we're praying with you. We support you guys. We're so glad that God has shown himself strong on your behalf and that prayers were answered there. Amen. And so God does not promise us that there won't be challenges, that there won't be issues, that there won't be tests in this life. But the confidence that we have is that when we face them, we won't face them without him right? He's there with us, and he will see us through. And God's faithfulness has been demonstrated to us uh, uh, in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, uh, his faithfulness to us has been exhibited to us all the time, but in particular, this past couple of weeks, we've, we've had to lean on him, and we've needed him. And, uh, and God is truly good. Amen? So thank you, Father God, for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Father God, uh, for being a very present help in our times of need. And so we glorify you and exalt you today, Lord. And, and uh, we just pray that we honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're doing, are we having children's church today? Okay. Um, do we have any, uh, anyone, any family here with uh, children between the ages of 4 and 13? Huh? They're already out there. Oh, okay. Well then, y'all are dismissed anyway. Praise the Lord. All right. This thing is a well-oiled machine, man. I got to catch up with it. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Uh, uh, let us uh, get into the word of the Lord. And uh, uh, this morning, we're going to be in the 20th chapter of Matthew. And I'll give you a heads up. I'm going to start. I'm going to do the first verse. Then we're going to go into the previous chapter. And then we're going to come back and uh, finish the parable in the 20th uh, verse. So uh, the parable, we're continuing with the kingdom parables. And today's message brings us to the one uh, typically titled the... the um, uh, the oh my goodness, excuse me, y'all. The laborers in the vineyard. And the first verse starts off like this For the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm going to stop right there. Unconventional, but I'm going to do it anyway. Before we get into the parable, I want to address the first word in this phrase, which is the word for. This looks, this blank looks, man, man, is this message going to really be that boring? Are we going to talk about for this morning? For, 
The word for means because or therefore. All right? Which means that what follows that word is linked to what preceded it. Okay? And so what preceded it, if we'll go back uh, to the 19th chapter, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 23, but before we talk about verse 23, uh, there's a very familiar encounter that the Lord has that I want to briefly talk about, which is his encounter with the rich young ruler. Right? And so the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and asked, what must I do? I want to be right with God. What must I do? And Jesus listed off commandments, do not, you know, do not kill, do not commit adultery, and so forth. And so he lists those things off, and he said, well, I've done all those things since my youth. And Jesus says, all right then, well, you lack one thing. I want you to just sell all your possessions, give away everything you have, and then come and follow me. And it says the young man went away sorrowful. And after that encounter, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 23, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this is not a message against wealth. All right? Why did the young, rich young ruler go away sad, go away sorrowful? I believe it's because Jesus put his finger on where this young man's trust really was. Where his significance was in the self-sufficiency that he perceived himself to have as a result of his wealth. And his very question when he approached the Lord, what must I do, comes from a mindset of someone who feels like they can earn something that cannot be earned. Right? And so he approaches the Lord with that question. Jesus sees it. He asks him that question. This guy is a self-sufficient guy. He's used to not having to trust in anything. He's got a life that allows him to be, to feel, to think, to believe that he is a self-sufficient individual. And who doesn't want the comfort of feeling self-sufficient? But there is a deception and there is a trap in that. Because the more self-sufficient we feel, the less we're able to approach the Lord as a little child. The less we're willing to sacrifice everything we are, everything that we have, and give it all to God and put our trust wholeheartedly in him. So it wasn't Jesus had no problem with the young man being wealthy. Jesus has put his finger on the fact that this young man was self-sufficient and put his trust in his wealth. 
And so Jesus got right to the point and said, oh, well, great job. You lack one thing. Do that. Get rid of all that and follow me. And at that point, he had an epiphany. He realized, oh, my gosh, I, I, I didn't have the standing with God that I thought I had. <laughs> uh, uh, all that I've done up to this point that I've put my trust in, that I have believed in, All of it just proved to be insufficient in that moment. And and I don't know what ultimately happened to that young man. I hope there was a time of serious self-reflection and repentance. The Bible doesn't give us the closure to that. All we know is that he walked away in this situation. And Jesus says something that, so when he tells his disciples, it is Only with difficulty will the rich man enter the kingdom of heaven. It's only to the extent that the rich man puts his trust in riches. He's not saying that you can't be rich and be a disciple of the Lord. Many of the wealthy, many of the the greatest men and women of God in the Bible were wealthy. Abraham wasn't poor. David wasn't poor. Solomon wasn't poor. Yet they trusted in God and walked with him. Amen? And so this is not a message against wealth. It is a message or this verse, these verses when he first said to his disciples is a warning about putting, against putting our trusts in riches and how it would be very difficult for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, impossible even for them, because you can't squeeze a camel through an eye of a needle. I don't care what that eye of a needle represents, whether it's a sewing needle or uh, some other type of uh, 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 a needle. Uh, I have not found any studies to confirm what I've heard many times growing up about there being uh, a hole in the gate that was referred to as an eye of a needle that the camels had to get down on their knees and uh, and he had to uh, unstrap them from everything to get them through there. Uh, I'm not going to say that that was the case because I can't find any confirmation that it was the case. So uh, I'm just going to go with the only needle, only eye of a needle I know. And I know you can't get a camel through that. All right. And so, so it's impossible to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you can humble yourself to the point where you can trust God and receive the gift of his salvation. By grace, through faith, are we saved. Amen? But it was commonly believed during those times that someone who was right with God and walking with God, it was just a natural byproduct, was to be well off was to be, you know, wealth came with that. Which is why the disciples responded with astonishment. Let's go on to verse 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, who then can be saved? So, <laughs> so, so Jesus is addressing this. And they're like, well, then who can be saved? You know, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we all ought to circle that. 
Because we live in a world where so much happens, so much in, that we encounter that is beyond us, so much that seems so difficult that we don't have the capacity to deal with, and, 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 and we hear the promises of God, and we believe and we pray the promises of God, but our situation is such that it's hard for us to, believe, to see a way forward, how the promise of God can happen in this situation. And we've got to remind ourselves we see through a glass dimly. You know, we do not, we cannot see every facet of it. Our heads would probably explode if we could, okay? But God knows the end from the beginning, all right? And so we can put our trust in him and say, you know what? I don't see a way where this is possible, but with God, all things are possible. You know, and think about uh, God delivering the uh, uh, the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. That wasn't possible apart from God. Going from slavery to the most powerful man in the world to just being delivered with, by the strong hand of God. And with Pharaoh's armies pursuing them and the Red Sea before them, a way out seemed impossible. And it was impossible for man. But with God, it became possible because he parted the Red Sea. Right? So our God is a God that is not hindered by the impossible. Right? So it's not about what we can see. The just shall live by faith. So they were astonished. I know it's possible to be rich and a disciple of Jesus. I'm, I'm hammering this home just so we we don't get into any ideological spats here. Uh, and I'll just, I won't have you turn there. Uh, Jer- I mean, uh, Matthew 27 verse 57 tells us that Joseph of Arimathea became a disciple of Jesus. And he was rich. He offered up his own personal tomb for the Lord to be placed there. Uh, Zacchaeus in Luke 19 you don't see the words that he became a disciple, but Jesus did say the day salvation is coming to your home. And he was a crook. He got his, he didn't get his wealth the honorable way, <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that he was wealthy. And his heart repented before the Lord. And the Lord did him the honor of saying in front of the whole crowd that was there that he was going to dine with him in his house and fellowship with him. And so he knew the repentant heart of Zacchaeus. And I'll tell you what, it just shows the, the heart of our God that he would honor him in such a way because no one, our, no one in that crowd saw him as a disciple of the Lord. And then verses 27 to 30, we'll finish this out. And this is what segues into 
the parable that starts in the following chapter. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. They've done what the rich young ruler was not willing to do. He said, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? You know, it's kind of a bit of a self, selfish question, but uh, I understand it. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And I'm just going to read, he made a reference to the new world. I'm going to go over, before I go to Matthew 20, I'm going to go over to 2 Peter 3, uh, uh, verses 8. Which, which, which verses did I give you, Desiree? Okay, I, uh, in my notes, I added a couple of verses that I didn't give you. I know that that... Uh, Surprises you. I'll get there in a couple of verses, all right? I'm going to start at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. He's he's talking about the day of the Lord coming, um, the judgment day that includes the destruction of the ungodly, uh, those of us who are believers, you know, let's not long for and hasten for that day, for that day to hasten and come quickly. Okay? Because the heart of our God is to be patient and to suffer long, to give every opportunity to come to Him. So as much as we want to be with the Lord, all right, let's not be too hasty in our desire to see the judgment day come. All right? Because you know, it may seem like God is not moving at uh, the proper speed. But uh, it says here that, that God's timing is always perfect. But it says here that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, it will come, and it will come suddenly. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, 
we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And that's that, that that's the new that Jesus was talking about in the new world. Okay? The day of the Lord is coming. After which there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. We're all going to have new bodies. Amen? And there won't be ungodliness and unrighteousness and sin and death and sickness and all that. It will flow with righteousness. And so, many of us have made a lot of sacrifices to serve in our service of the Lord. And I don't want to get ahead of myself in the next point that I want to make, but uh, some of us had to leave family. Had to leave places that we grew up. Had to leave relationships for the sake of the Lord, our God. And our faithful God, our gracious God, our generous God, even though this salvation that we have is a gift from him, he says we're going to receive a hundredfold and we'll inherit eternal life. God is good. And after having said that, we get into verse 1 of chapter 20 where he says, for the kingdom of heaven, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now the third hour is 9 a.m. The day started at 6 a.m. The third hour is 9 in the morning. So the middle of the morning... He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour. So he went out again at noon. And the ninth hour, 3 p.m. He did the same. And about the 11th hour. It's 5 p.m. The day's almost gone. They pretty much went from 6 to 6. So he's in the final hour. So in the final hour, the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Uh-oh. Same pay for everybody. So, and now when those hired 
I tell you what, uh, before we get into how the first ones hired felt about that, I want us to marinate on that a little bit in our thoughts and kind of think about how we would feel about that if we were among the first in that group uh, um, at 6 a.m. that got hired and worked all day. And he, and obviously he wasn't trying to hide anything. You know, I thought about this as I was reading it. I was like, you know, it would have been so easy for him to pay the first people first because once they get their money, people are gone. You know, they're not trying to hang around. They wouldn't care, right? So they get their money. They wouldn't know that the people who came at nine got the same thing they got, you know, at noon, at three. But he did something interesting. He started with the people who got hired last. And so everybody that's been there longer than them gets to witness what these people are getting paid. So he wasn't trying to hide it. He put it out there front and center, right? And, and, and again, it, this is, this is not a, a, about wages. You know, the point here is not about, it's not necessarily about wages. But I just thought it really interesting that he purposely decided he's going to pay them in order of who got hired last to those who got hired first. And not surprisingly, uh, verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. Now they agreed to do the work for a denarius. They said, that's a fair wage. All right. But after seeing what the people who got paid last, who, who got hired last got paid, all of a sudden what was fair was perceived as unfair. Right? And so, but each of them also received a denarius in verse 11 and on receiving it, they would have been thankful. Had it not been for what they witnessed, they would have been thankful for the pay that they got. But because of what the 11th hour people got paid, when they received their denarius, they received it with grumbling. So, and on receiving it, they grumbled. Now, they didn't just murmur to themselves. They grumbled at the master of the house. Saying, these last worked only one hour. And you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as, let me say, I want to uh, put the emphasis where it belongs. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. And the first last. You know, the grace and generosity of God often gets mischaracterized as unfair. Uh, it's human nature to compare 
accolades, achievements, accomplishments, judgments, consequences. We want life to be fair. And I'll see if my daughters can, when y'all say to me something's not fair, what was my typical response? Fair only comes to town twice a year, and it's for bobbing for apples and judging pigs. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> the fair is a place where they <laughs> where they sell fried Twinkies and and judge pigs, and it only comes around once or twice a year. All right, so we can't go through life. Expecting everything to be fair. Right? Sometimes we're going to get more than we deserve for the good or for the bad. Right? And we just got to trust God that that when, when it's for the bad, that it'll work together for our good somehow. And that if he allowed us to go through it, it is for his divine purpose in some way. I may not be able to see it, but I'm going to trust in the heart of my God. All right. And so he's doing a work in me. I'm going to cooperate it and because I know he's faithful to complete it and he's for me, not against me. So I'm not going to let my emotions lie. I'm not going to let my negative thoughts lie and not, not going to let them win the day. I'm, I'm going to remind myself of the promises of God. I'm going to remind myself of the character of my God and the faithfulness of my God. Are you hearing me? Now. Uh, Steve, uh, in one of our Bible studies last year, he, 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 he preached a, I mean, he, he, uh, uh, led us in a wonderful Bible study that centered on this verse and, and, uh, he, he, he termed it comparisonitis. And, uh, you know, which is, uh, I thought it was a, a catchy and, and a, an appropriate term that is something that we need to be cured of <laughs> is comparisonitis because it will cause us to, Grumble at the grace and generosity of God. It will cause us to not be content. And the Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we can't walk in the joy of the Lord if we are infected with comparisonitis to the point that we can't even appreciate what we have because in comparison to someone else, it's not, it's not equal to what they have. Right? And so, I mean, just think about that. I, I get what they're feeling. Look, we've done, we've been here since six. We've done a 12 hour day. It's just not fair that someone who works one hour gets the same thing that I did for 12 hours. Well, Let's imagine who's getting the short end of the stick here. All right? They got a day's wage for a day's work. They're able to put some food on the table. They're able to provide for their families. They got the benefit of their labor. The only one who's on the short end of the stick here is the guy who owns the vineyard. 
Because he's the only one that's overpaying here, right? If he chooses to do it, he's screwing himself over, right? I hope that's on Facebook. I hope I can say that and get away with it. He, he's, he's giving himself the short end of the stick there, right? I, I, I was trying to think of another word. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> You know, so, and yet, though, if anybody's shortchanged here, it's the guy who's doing the paying. He's the one that paid the second shift guys who worked only nine hours, this uh, a 12-hour wage. The guys who worked six hours, everybody but the ones who started the day at 6 a.m. got more than they deserved. All right? And so... And so this parable starts off with the kingdom of heaven is like, and I'm looking at this man, and it and it, and it, it tells me about not just the salvation of the, of the of God, but the the generosity of God. The longer we walk with God, the longer we serve Him. You know, we're going to have to guard against that that feeling or that thought or that belief. That, that, that we deserve more payment than those who haven't walked as long as we had or, or, or walked as tough of a, lo, a lo, of a, of a road as we have. We're going to have to guard against that. All right. Because we've got to realize that, but by the grace of God, all right, we would be doomed, right? It's by God's tender mercies and grace and his generosity that we have what we have. And if we compare what we have with others, if I look at it and say, you know what, I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, and then I look at some young buck that comes along has been, you know, in the ministry for five years and, and dude, dude has thousands of people in his, in, in, in his congregation and there, you know, he's got books and, and, and TV deals and, or, or whatever deals and so forth. And I'm sitting up here and say, man, what's up with this, God? Or if someone has that 11th hour deathbed conversion, we don't want to thumb our nose at that. Our God's salvation, he is just. Our God's salvation is the, is a gift. It is the same gift whether I received it at 12 or 92. Right? My service to the Lord will get the same reward whether I've been, whether I did it for two years or 102. Now, the scripture does talk about there being rewards. The works that we do, you know, will be tried by fire. And those that endure, there'll be rewards in heaven for them. So he's not denying that. Okay? Jesus is not denying or speaking against that. I believe what he's addressing, though, is that attitude. That innate human desire you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to get less than my share. I don't want to get less than what's due me. I want mine. And Jesus is saying the last will be first and the first will be last. 
Let's not let the grace and generosity of God be mischaracterized by us as unfair. God's grace and generosity is being emphasized by Jesus here. It's not denying uh, rewards in heaven, but he's making a point. And God's grace and generosity are more abundant than any of us can understand. We, we try to put it in human terms, but when we do it, it just does not do it justice. We can't fathom the love of God, the, the mercy of God. His ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his, right? And like I said earlier, all the laborers except the very first ones got more than they deserved. And I think I used the term cautionary tale last time, but I think there is a warning here for us not to despise those who come after us. Not, not to despise the, the grace and, 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 and mercy and provision and all the wonderful things that God is doing for someone else. And we especially need to focus on that. We need, we need to praise God and we need to thank God for what he's doing in their lives. No, don't, don't look at it from the standpoint of, well, why are they blessed and I'm not? It is hardest when we're going through, right? It's hardest when we're not, when we don't have what we're praying for yet. When we've lost something, when we're struggling through something and it appears to us that someone else has clept out of it. They're not having to go through the course. And he's warning us, let's not despise the goodness of God to someone else. Are you hearing that? And so, while it's typically known as the uh, parable of the laborers in the vineyard, it could easily be called a, a parable of the generosity of God. Because again, like last week, we put a lot of emphasis on what really is the cautionary tale. But when the parable starts off, the kingdom of heaven is like, we would be better served focusing our attention on what it's using as an example of what the kingdom of heaven is like. All right. And in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of that vineyard. That means this is how the kingdom of heaven operates. It's not a respecter of persons. Uh, it's not uh, interested in fairness for fairness sake. God's going to be generous no matter how you perceive it. It's not fair that my Dallas Cowboys aren't in the playoffs. And my mother-in-law's Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. So it's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> but it might be if Aaron Rodgers pulls it off and knocks him out. You know, fairness might be. No. Uh, I, 
I'm I'm just I'm just toying with you. I'm I'm really uh, I've really said what I believe the Lord wanted me to say today, and and I really want you know if there's I I want there to be whatever drawways God gave you in this. That's between you and the Lord. And every time the word goes forth, I would implore you, I would encourage you, I would challenge you to listen to God's word in such a way as this is God speaking. I'm here today. God is speaking uh, to me. And there is something in this in the word today that is instructive for me. And, and, and uh, my job is to say, yes, Lord, and begin to, to begin to do what I can do in order to make this word come to life in my life, right? In order to implement this and make this a reality in my own life. And so, so I would challenge you not to just hear um, the message and just to know what it, you know, what's being said. Um, I would challenge you to listen to the message in light of the question, what is God saying to me? And when God speaks to you, okay, honor what he says to you. What he highlights to your heart, take it seriously. And say, okay, God, I, I get it. And it just commit to, I'm going to walk in obedience in this. And you may not know how to, all right? But you can pray, God, give me the wisdom, give me the grace to walk this out in my life. And you can pray, Lord, uh, lead me to someone, okay, who can help me, who can help me in that effort, right? Someone who can help disciple me in these things because I want to walk with God. I I don't want to just give mental assent to the word of God when it's preached. I don't want to just say amen and feel good at the fact that I agreed with what was preached. I want the word of life to be a reality in my life. Amen. And so, uh, so, but, but let's, let's remind ourselves when these, when these parables say the kingdom of heaven is like, that is the, it's given us different facets of the, of the character and, and, and what the kingdom of heaven is about, which is important to us because we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And if the kingdom of heaven is about these things, then these are things that we should be about as representatives of the kingdom. Okay, and so the generosity of God that is placed in here, he could have given every one of those that came later in the day, he could have given them a prorated salary. But he didn't. And those that were there in the 11th hour, I want to point this out in closing, but the ones who were there in the 11th hour, they could have given up, gone home, you know, they've been out there in the marketplace hoping for someone who needed workers to come along and they would get a chance to work. But nobody came. They were still out there at five o'clock. These were not slackers. These are not people who did not want to work. Those are people out there who just had not been picked. And yet here we have this man representing the kingdom of heaven, even in the final hour, still out there looking for laborers, looking for those who have a heart to work. 
And even though there was just an hour and there was no way he could get an adequate return on his investment, he said, come on, y'all. Come and work in my vineyard. And here, here's a full day's wage. Isn't that the heart of God? (laughs) Amen. I mean, we could not possibly pay him back for what he's done for us. We could not do anywhere near enough that would, you know, that would equal the immeasurable gift that we have been given by him. And the promises that are stored for us, you know, uh, uh, that crown of righteousness, oh my goodness, uh, that is laid up for us, uh, all the promises and all the blessing of God that is that has been promised to us. It's way over payment for our little bit of contribution that we can make to the things of God. But he doesn't do it based on our work. He, he, he does it, I'll tell you what, he does it out of the generosity of his own heart. Okay, so we have a God that loves us, a God that's going to generously bless us. And uh, all those blessings may not be realized on this side of glory, <laughs> you know, but, but we will be blessed in this life and in the life to come. It says a hundredfold. I'm going to ask you to stand. God, you're so good. You're so good. Father, let let us not measure ourselves uh, as your people, as your children. Renew our minds, Father God. Help us to renew our minds to your word. Help us to not uh, engage in uh, comparing ourselves with others and measuring ourselves up against others uh, 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 in a way that would tempt us to despise when your goodness is extended to someone else. Let us not have a what about me attitude, oh God. May we always see In our mind's eye, may we always feel in our hearts the generosity of God that was displayed in this parable today. Because we serve a God that is willing to sacrifice for us. That sacrifice is only begotten son for us. Who paid a debt for us that we could never repay him. And may we ever be reminded of the wonder and beauty of your salvation, Father God. The the, the wonderful grace and generosity that was bestowed upon us. uh, uh, If it were not for your generosity, if it's something we could earn, it wouldn't be the gift of salvation. And Father, may we always treasure your wonderful gift of salvation. And as your servants, Lord, which are represented in here as laborers in the vineyard, Father God, may we ever be reminded, Father God,
also uh, of your generosity as servants. Let us not feel like we are entitled to something more than we are getting. Because implicit in that complaint, complicit in that grumbling, is the accusation against you that you are unjust. We don't often see it that way, but Father, let it be plain before us what we're actually doing when we complain against you. Give us the capacity, God, that when you are blessing someone else who doesn't deserve it in our opinion, give us the capacity to celebrate what you're doing in them. To praise you. Give us the capacity to brag on you. That's the goodness of my God. God is good. Look at what God's doing in that person's life. Oh, you who don't know him, come taste for yourself and see that the Lord is good. Let us use it as an opportunity to witness to those who have not yet tasted and seen that you are good. And so, Father God, we just thank you for your word and for speaking to our hearts today, Lord. And I thank you uh, for the humble hearts that are saying yes to you. Uh, uh, online and, and, and all over the sanctuary right now. Father, you are a generous God and we will thank you when you're blessing us, Father, uh, uh, and we will thank you when you're blessing someone else uh, because we'll, re we'll recognize that just, just, that's just who you are. Father, we love you and we give you praise and and uh, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Uh, the Lord bless and keep you guys as you go and have a, have a blessed week.